one more time, John. I was going to get your Faith No More poster. This is like the second time Faith No More has come up this week for some reason. <laughs> Sometimes you just have that happen. Yeah, I used to go to the 21st Street Coffee downtown every day before work. And yesterday, actually between this morning and yesterday, I saw three of the employees that used to work there yeah. in like a really short amount of time. It was very strange. Like, why are all of you suddenly in my life mm -hmm. again? Oh, is that a pinky in the brain figure? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Picking the brain with Animaniacs <laughs> or it's, they're so funny. They're so they're still really funny. And all the I loved all the Orson Welles jokes that you didn't understand what they were when you were 10. But uh -huh. looking back on it, it's like so hilarious. They kept they, they, they were, he was always doing those commercials for like frozen fish sticks and stuff. <laughs> no, all that all that old Warner Brothers stuff was really the shit. I was just talking recently about this. Are you a Pittsburgh native? Uh, no, I'm, I'm from Altoona, but I've been here since I, since I was a teenager. Okay. Um, I don't know if you ever got to spend any time in Monroeville Mall when they had the Warner Brothers store. No, I never did. Yeah, they had a gigantic Warner Brothers store in Monroeville Mall. And I was talking with somebody recently about how fucking cool it was. They had the Warner Brothers store and they also had the Disney store at the same time. Okay. Those were just, I don't know. That was a lot of fun. I never got to buy anything from it just because I was like a shitty kid. I just hung out at the mall a lot. I'm sure you're really surprised <laughs> by that fucking information. <laughs> But uh, I loved the Warner Brothers store. I wish you thought Mallrats was a documentary. Like, I don't want to do that. We're going to get into all kinds of hijinks. I mean, there was literally was nothing else better to do. You know, I fucking grew up in Braddock Hills and all my friends lived in Turtle Creek. It's like, what the fuck are you going to do? All Go right. to the mall. You're, you're, you're really from here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm from here as fuck. How uh, old are you? I'm 32. 32. Turning 33. A few years this younger. month. Yeah. You're a few years younger than Shannon Norman. Uh, okay. yeah, you know Shannon? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's from the same area. So I was yeah, we, we, high school. we didn't interact a whole lot, but we definitely knew some of the same people. There was definitely probably a few awkward circumstances where we were like hanging out together, but we never really Dude, talked all that much. Highs? Woodland Highs? Yeah, Woodland Hills. Yeah, Woodland Hills, Woodland Hills yep. Did you, did you graduate with Ray Zawadney or no Ray Zawadney? No, that na the name sounds a little familiar. He might be but... a little younger. I keep forgetting Ray's pretty young. Ray's another comic in town who's hilarious. We went to Woodland Hills. There's a few people from one of the hills that do comedy. Shannon, Ray, uh, a guy named Dave Bracey, uh, yeah, Isaiah Dave Bracey. A guy named Dave Bracey. Yeah. Like nobody knows who we're talking about. <laughs> you know, I, I forget how famous Dave's gotten. He, he was just a guy who just, when he started doing comedy, he used to just try to do this bit about smelly pussy, and it was so bad. <laughs> it took, like, he was literally... When Dave Bracey started doing comedy, he would come to open mics, and we just before we knew who he was, we just referred to him as the smelly pussy guy because he went up there and he would just do this terrible material <laughs> about it. And uh, it took him a few weeks to realize that it wasn't working, and then no one was like talking to him because his material was so bad. <laughs> but he turned it around, and now he's some uh, giant beer guru, or whatever he is. <laughs> uh huh. Absolutely. So before we get any more deep into Pittsburgh comedy and all of that, I'm going to do an introduction and we'll talk a little bit about you and why you're here sitting on this couch that people have done terrible things on. Couch is a stretch, but sure. Yeah. And we'll get into it. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to start the beat with Sykes. My name is Sykes and this is my podcast. Before we get started, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank everyone who checked out last week's episode. If you're one of the people who listened to that conversation, I hope you enjoyed it and thanks so much for coming back. But for those of you out there who are new to the show, welcome. Please feel free to make yourselves at home. And as always, there's beer and soda in the fridge. 
Today, I am not drinking a beer nor a soda. I have some iced coffee. My guest has a water because it's a Sunday. Not, and even, not even a refrigerated water. Yeah, not even a refrigerated water. <laughs> we're, I don't know. We're we're old. I don't know. I just I just don't drink beer on Sundays anymore. I'm actually kind of in a in a not drinking thing right now. Been getting really into teas and just enjoying you know more uh, of a more having a more healthy sound body in mind which you're transitioning i see kind of it kind of stinks you know i have a lot of friends that are into beer and a lot of friends that make beer and that's cool i still think beer is nice but that doesn't mean that you know i guess a good way to put it would be you know i really like uh we'll say faith no more for example we were just talking about faith no more but i can't listen to faith no more all day every day i'll get fucking sick of it <laughs> so that's kind of how i feel about beer you know have you ever noticed that beer is disgusting it can be. It can be. Some, all, some, all beer is disgusting. If you haven't had it in a while, it definitely is like, like kind of like that. You forget if you drink it a lot. There's yeah. a But more recently, before I kind of had this personal revelation that I need to step away from this, I was getting just like a real gross feeling yeah. from it. Just like no matter what I drank, like this isn't like sitting with me right. Like, But there definitely was a time where like, I was able to overlook that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I've never been a beer person because of how they make you feel. I don't like the way they taste, but there are a few that taste okay. But then uh, getting drunk on beer, you just feel like you're just drinking an anchor. And it's just sitting in totally. the pit of your stomach. I just don't enjoy it at well, all. There's nothing I, about beer that I like. I all. got into beer just through like any bullshit nerdy standpoint that I could possibly try to argue. I mm. was never into beer like, oh, I need to get drunk. Let's have some beers. It was just like, here's a an interesting new flavor and i'm like oh, okay cool this is cool this is cool this is cool and then i start meeting people that make beer and all of a sudden beer is being given to me and i have a fridge full of beer and every day it's like well i guess i'll have a beer here beer there you know and then it's like oh fuck why am i drinking so much beer just before you know it you're in a whirlwind of beer i'm the same way but with whole milk <laughs> <laughs> just that no are you like a, a whole milk connoisseur like a you, lot of artisans to make whole milk you go to different go to different Goat farms milk, and shit cow milk <laughs> Uh, no, I don't. I don't. I do drink too much milk, though. But uh, it's not because I. It's just because it's a weird habit I left over from childhood. But uh, I, I, I'm longing for when I become lactose intolerant, so I'll probably lose like a hundred pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so, for those of you that don't know my guest today, I'm sitting here today with a gentleman who is feeling the wrath of the season change here in Pittsburgh. His name is John Dick Winters. He is a comedian, a promoter of sorts, producer, kind of. All yeah. around get it doneer in the Pittsburgh comedy scene and perhaps beyond. I don't know. I don't know the guy too much, but he's here <laughs> and we're going to learn about each other. So besides liking milk and comedy Love and milk. having Not a background liking. in Ninja Turtles and stuff, yeah. you know, like that's fair. All you know, those are fair. Statements. What the fuck's up, man? What do you do? How's it going? Uh, how's it going with you, man? Thanks for having me uh, in your weird, uh, <laughs> <laughs> your weird pop culture room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is, you know, I obviously grew up around a lot of this shit yeah. and uh yeah we come, we come um, from a similar uh, uh background i just children uh, of the 80s i, I just I, don't collect things totally <laughs> totally all. yeah but I, I, there's a lot of people that uh in, in in our from our past that have this need to collect these things and uh well, the, the funny thing like i mentioned to you before like i really kind of i scaled back on the ninja turtle stuff <laughs> and i only yeah. i've only gotten one new piece in probably the past easily 10 years like a lot I, of I, I love that this is i mean i know i know it's not extreme but like this is like this is scaled back to you uh -huh. and there's, there's at least 40 active <laughs> figures yeah I, I no no less than 40 the funny thing is it's like i 
so I kind of several still in their packaging. <laughs> I grew up, I grew up in a family of collectors, yeah. right? So a lot of the stuff that I have was from when I was a kid, and then whenever I got a job when I was sixteen, like I just start, I just kept buying stuff. So yeah, I don't yeah. really actively collect anything. I've just been alive long enough in having an income long enough that I've just like accumulated uh, things. There's a, there's I don't a, like go to, I don't really got him away to go to toy shows to like buy things. I don't go to record conventions. I barely go to record stores. I just like happen to be at a lot of shows. I'll pick up records if I'm at a show, things like that. And it's just, it builds up over time. There's a buddy of mine who has a really good joke. The He's talking about how like uh, how stepdads or these wannabe stepdads come in and try to date his mother. And they try to like interact with him. And they're like, hey, man, do you like action figures? He's like, nah, I'm 30. <laughs> I already have those ones. <laughs> it's just a, it's a wonderful joke. I'm uh, not going to credit the comedian who wrote that joke because I don't want to mention his name. But uh, <laughs> no, it was Jesse Irvin, another super funny guy. I've never I've never owned a record in my life. Yeah. I don't I don't own any records. I don't uh, I, I don't own anything. I like I tried my best not to own anything. So I've, I've gotten the opposite. Of like like my older brother's a collector. He he's a guy who has all the all the toys and stuff. And like I'm just the, the complete opposite. Whereas I don't, I try not to own anything. Yeah, definitely in my in my older years, as I like I'm really all that fucking old. But I've definitely been scaling back. Like I mentioned to you, I got rid of a bunch of figures. I've gotten rid of records. I've gotten rid of movies. Like all this nonsense that I have. Scaling back. You I got, still you got have rid a, of not these 500 records that I'm looking at, yeah, but the yeah. other records. Oh, yeah, a lot more. <laughs> Actually, the record hobby is pretty much self-sustained now. I do a lot of, like, I sell and trade a lot of this yeah, stuff, yeah. so most of the money for new records comes from old records. Like, you know, having some... Uh, this, I sold some bullshit Fallout Boy record that I bought when I was in high school for, like, 100 bucks online. Wow. Someone, that someone was out fucking, there was willing to pay $100 for a well, Fallout Boy record. I think the funny thing about the time that we're in right now is you have a lot of these... Well, quote millennial types that are in their late 20s 30s they have jobs nobody wants to have fucking kids or get married now so everybody has this ridiculous expendable income that they're throwing at yeah. 100 dollars fallout boy records or buying all their action figures from when they were a kid or you know i want or the, don't uh, own anything and just go travel the world i want the lead singer of fallout boy and the lead singer from rune five to fight to the death in a contest of the best voice in the worst band contest. <laughs> They're both amazing singers, but God, their music is garbage. <laughs> so now with you, you know, we're talking a lot about me and my collections and things that I have. This, talk, this is all about, about me. You. This is all about you. So I think we, you'd mentioned that the main reason you're sitting here is to promote the Burning Bridges Comedy Club. Yeah, hell yeah. That's so let's talk thing. a little bit about that and, you know, what makes it so special that it needs to be a club. Uh yeah, that's that's a great. Let's start there. The Burning Bridges Comedy Club is a is a just it's just the side room of Hambones in Lawrenceville. Uh, my partner and I, uh, my partner is Derek Minto, another comic. Um, he and I have been producing comedy there. He's been producing comedy there uh, for six years. I've been producing comedy there for the past few years, and um, and and I've also been producing comedy all over the over the city, like uh, the Club Cafe, the Rex, and a few other places. Um. And uh, the owner of Handbones is a guy named Jeff Holt, who's just a, a wonderful fellow. He really supports all the all the live performances that happen in his bar. Never charges any artists for to use the room. He's very generous that way. And uh, Derek and I just um, I, I I pitched to Jeff uh, uh, earlier this year that I wanted to do comedy all like every day. <laughs> I wanted to turn it into just this, <laughs> an exclusive comedy club. 
uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, I wanted to do comedy there. And he, uh, he, he didn't quite, wasn't quite into that because he likes having music there and stuff. So the compromise was that we would do, we would do shows every Saturday and Sunday in addition to the open mics we have there Monday and Thursday. So now there's comedy there four nights a week. Uh, and the reason why oh, Derek and, and Derek has been a part of that too. Uh, the reason Derek and I felt so strongly about it, cause I don't, uh, I don't know if you know anything about comedy as far as like, um, uh, the the kind of like things that make a good comedy room, but Handbones is it. Handbones has this amazing um, feel for comedy. It's an intimate space, has low ceilings. Everyone's right there. It's a separate for the room is separate from the bar, so you don't hear all the bullshit from the bar. Um, yeah, it's just perfect. And you know, Pittsburgh has several dozen music venues. It has three improv theaters and not one comedy stand up comedy club. So uh, that's is kind of where it all came from just simple simple capitalism supply and demand sure uh, so yeah that's that's where we are and we, we just had our second we we had our second weekend we're in the middle of our second weekend right now we had two shows last night it was they both went extremely well they were decently attended uh and i was really happy about that and yeah so we're we're we're, we're we the, i mean we've been pretty like so we've produced comedy there for years the room uh, has always had the potential, but now we went from doing two showcases a month to doing three a weekend. Well, that's so great. It's, it's a pretty huge ramp up. Well, I think that, you know, I don't know a whole lot about Pittsburgh comedy aside from people that I know that are loosely involved in it. Sure. And, but I, I follow stand up comedy like any other general person does. I know, yep. you know, there's comedians that I'm into and podcasts that I listen to since every comedian has a podcast now. And, I think it's really cool that Pittsburgh could have sort of like something that it would be its own like comedy cellar or something to that equivalent, like a, yeah, a room kinda, where the, hoping for that, a yeah. room where the the culture can thrive. Because you're right, because there is that space for musicians and other demographics. But sure. I don't. Maybe that's a big part of the reason why I don't know a lot about local comedy is because it's there isn't a place to go specifically to see local comedy. It's always kind of in different places. Yeah. yeah there, there, there's, there's random shows all over the place. Like an umbrella box has, has had a monthly show for years. And the, 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 there's the improv theaters that have, you know, stand up maybe 10 or 20% of their programming is stand up and the rest of it's improv. Um, and then, you know, there's random bar shows, random open mics all over the place, but there's never been just a place where it's just boom, this, this we do stand up comedy. And here. I'd be, I'd be interested to see something at Hambones because I liked what you said kind of about the environment. And yeah. I think environment plays a huge part with any, anything, any, any performance, but I feel like the more intimate the performance, the more it plays a factor. So like, you know, co comedy or oratory is about as intimate as it gets. And, uh, it, in the space, like it, it speaks to how the show goes, like, Say a place like Howlers, which I'm sure you've been to many times. A lot of people in Pittsburgh have been to. It's a great show to see a band uh, doing comedy there is garbage just because of the way the room is set up. I don't even like playing shows there. The stage is, the, the stage is <laughs> too, too tall. High. It's too high. It's fucking weird. <clears throat> but I mean, it, but it does work for bands for sure. At least I understand if you don't even like that because the stage is too high. But comedy is like it, you feel so detached well, it, from the audience. It's, it's, so it's, funny a, it's a long because, shotgun room. You know, I play in a in a heavy metal band. So kind of whenever we're playing shows, it's almost the opposite. It's like we don't want an intimate space. It's kind of mm -hmm. like we kind of need like a bigger stage mm -hmm. and kind of the lights in order for it to really 
sure. get its point across. Otherwise, it looks ridiculous yeah, yeah, yeah. if we're in a small room trying to do this big thing. And mm -hmm. then vice versa with comedy. If you're in this huge space, unless you're like some larger than life personality, like even then it's probably kind of you know, detached. Yeah, I've, done, I've done a pretty well sold show at Mr. Smalls with that huge stage. And it just doesn't feel right. Yeah, it I've just never doesn't been to a comedy show that big i think probably the biggest comedy show i've been to was i think i, I saw um mike berbiglia at the okay. biome okay and that was but that it's it was still at least kind of intimate enough i was close enough that i think and i think i saw mark Marin at uh carnegie i think or something okay. and that was still like uh, but like being in like a big standing space room i yeah, imagine yeah, yeah. that would be like this is weird like yeah, it is. as a performer and as an attendee mm. so yeah so handbells just has the feel of a, of a great comedy room and that's why it's uh you know the thursday mic open mic the thursday night open mic has been going on for six years and it it, it gets packed every week and uh then the, the 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 professional shows in the weekend that you that cost money or uh have been well attended over the past couple of years but now now we have a consistent thing every saturday 8 and 10 30 every sunday at nine um so we're gonna start building that audience up and I, I, there's definitely an audience for it. people like Derek and I pride ourselves in curating really uh, quality shows. We're pretty particular about how who we let on, and um, there's a lot of talent here in Pittsburgh and, and around regionally. And we get to draw like these headliners from around the country that maybe you haven't heard of yet, but like they're yeah they're not they're not they're not famous yet. But you give them five years, you give them ten years, and they're going to be the people like that that are up there in the upper echelon of comedy. That was going to be my next question: was is there like enough talent to support like this frequent of a comedy showcase. Cause I was always curious if maybe the reason why there wasn't something frequent or a steady location was just due to a lack of interest or a lack of people able to do it. No, I think it's just like, uh, like I said, there's three improv theaters and you know, improv has a business model attached to it because of the classes and then people, uh, you know, there's eight people on an improv team. So every, all those eight people are going to invite their friends to their show. So like, it's kind of a self-sustaining system. Whereas, uh, stand up is a lot more individualistic. Like once you become a, a, a stand up who's gigging, gigging around all the time, you, you're done inviting your friends. Like you have to have, you need strangers to come see you. That's like being and, in a band. Sure. It's the same exact thing. So <clears throat> after a while, like, uh, so, uh, like having a stand-up venue unless you're really really working at it is not going to sustain itself whereas an improv theater has a little bit more of a built-in kind of thing and that i think is why there's three improv theaters and this is the first independent stand-up club that pittsburgh's seen ever uh so that's that's one small aspect of it um yeah and the, the other aspect is there enough talent uh i think there is enough talent for sure and and having a club like this will uh help develop the talent as well there's also you know cleveland's pretty close dc a few other bigger cities uh you know uh if you're paying people people will come in pretty far <laughs> to, to totally. do comedy uh you know we've already had people come in from new york and we had some guy last night driving six hours from michigan who was hilarious guy named mike logan just crushed last night but yeah we're so besides the from having there's a good like 20 really good stand-ups in pittsburgh and there's another 20 or so that are doing pretty good uh that are you know, that are getting better all the time and so a couple of that with the people that are always on tour coming through town i think we'll be fine yeah yeah i was i liked kind of the point that you brought up about um being particular about the people that you let perform because mm -hmm. i think that 
I've had this conversation with some of my musician friends, and I think that that's something that the music scene needs to do a little bit more. Like, stop being so nice to bands that aren't good. Yeah. And, like, I don't mean that in a rude way, because there's a lot of bands that maybe aren't great, but they're nice people. And that's cool, but it's like, okay, like, you need to work out this material on your own time well, a little bit. Well, I mean, like anything, like especially on a local local level, there's always the politics of it, which is which is obnoxious. But uh, I've I've definitely gotten a reputation for being very honest with people. I'm just like you're just not ready. You know what I mean? I go to the open mics. I see you developing or not developing, whatever it is. You know, I'm very and you think very. That it's like it's better for those people to stay in the open mic circuit before transitioning. For sure, and because you know. At, Nobody wants the wait to start. Like if if you start doing art, and in this case, obviously we're talking about stand up. So if you start doing stand up, obviously immediately you want to start doing paid gigs and getting paid for it. Yeah. But like if you get if you get to that point too early, it can be really detrimental to your development. It really, really can. It's not it's not something you want to rush to, and that's very difficult to see when you're in it when you're that young. But like years from now, you're going to look back on it and be like, I'm glad I wasn't getting booked then because you know if you're doing good at your art if you're doing good at comedy every year you're in comedy you should be able to look back and be like i was so bad <laughs> you know what i mean that should be the the you should be able to do that when you're progressing in anything like just look back and be like oh i'm so much better now so you know i've, I've seen it um and in pittsburgh is overran with white guys doing comedy uh just like so many fucking white guys so um younger comics who are women or people of color uh they have a tendency of getting booked before they're probably ready because people want to diversified shows i've seen it where these younger comics uh their development is kind of halted because they, they're getting booked too early and they're like oh this is working so they just kind of like keep doing that as opposed to progressing because once you're getting paid it's 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 uh it's difficult to go out on a limb and want to change something up and do something different you know what i mean um so uh, we're trying to we're trying to help that that too like uh develop younger, younger comics try to keep it di- diverse which is very difficult to do in pittsburgh like it truly is and um i think it's diverse i think it's hard difficult to do i'd imagine it's difficult to do anywhere well i mean pittsburgh uh, do you do you travel around to, to performing yeah. or anything uh i don't know if you've noticed but pittsburgh is about as segregated of a city as you can possibly get in the modern era like uh I'm not people say Pittsburgh's racist and maybe it maybe it is a little bit, but like there's definitely a black part of town and a white part of town. Like it's crazy how super segregated we are. You go to a show in Lawrenceville and there's just just the sea of white folks. It's just I don't know how to I don't know how to deal with that. I don't know how to make that better. It's been it's been an issue for for years, both in performers and in audiences. It's just very difficult to find a diverse group here in Pittsburgh. Uh, But if you go to like a place like Atlanta, it's just like you see everybody uh at the sh- performing on the shows attending the shows it's just like it's a different place all over like especially like in the bigger cities in the south it's just like you see everything i don't know it's just the just one little problem as a as a producer as a booker that uh that is constantly weighing on my mind because like i don't want a show full of guys who look exactly like me <laughs> it's it, do- it doesn't look good as a producer and it's, it's fucking boring as an audience yeah. It's boring as shit as an audience. It's just like, oh, this is the fourth white guy with a beard in the row. Uh-huh. Can't wait to see how he talks about how fat he is. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, just, it's just, it's just annoying. Like, yeah, it's um. So that's just one little like uh, inside baseball thing that I think about. Like, uh, 
you know, there's been a, several like uh, female comedian friends of mine who they'll, they'll start getting booked because as soon as you get funny and you're not a white guy, you're going to start getting booked. <laughs> yeah, that's something that I come across a lot too. obviously being in bands, playing in metal bands and things like that. I would imagine it's, it's just probably but actually the, the more interesting <laughs> thing, though, is like you kind of have to question too, like, well, how many uh, it's I mean, it's hard to say, but it's like, you know, how many diverse people really care about death metal i mean sure there are people of different color and different sure. gender that are into this stuff right mm. but if you were to like take a statistic chart like a uh, pie graph yeah, you know it's, it's a small sliver of yeah, people it's, it's uh, so it's metal is a super white guy thing <laughs> and like and i don't think it's necessarily like pushing anybody away it's just like it it's not it's intentional ca- it's for not sure. it's just no, the way so that it is there's, it's no, like, there's no malice there was a, it. A, a buddy of mine that had posted that he went to that uh punk and drublick beer sure. fest punk thing and how when he was there he felt weird about you know the lack of people of color there and like there was part of me was like i guess i can understand what you're saying but also i feel like if you spent all day walking around asking every single person of color like hey do you want free tickets to this punk rock beer festival so how what's many what's your favorite bad religion album? yeah like how many <laughs> of those people are going to want to come even for free to that not because they don't feel welcome but just general interest in that culture yeah i think it's like a lot of people uh that are having these feelings about like oh like my culture that i'm is very segregated it's a super white thing maybe it's like okay well like you're into punk rock and like that's kind of just like a some facets of punk are just super duper white and that's something that maybe you just kind of have to reckon with yeah i mean punk, or like, punk and metal specifically are are very very white and they don't have the crossover that hip-hop does to to the other cultures obviously yeah. hip-hop was founded in the black community and it crosses over to white asian whatever I mean, there's, a, there's definitely a ton of like people of color that are in both of those for sure I'm, demographics I'm just saying, but it's but like for whatever reason i don't i mean it's difficult to pinpoint but like punk and metal just do not have that crossover it's it is it is highly white all, yeah. all over the world um and i, I don't say, know I think, why I think that it's, is i think it's important to you know moving forward to acknowledge these things and try to make sure that you know you're representing a diverse group of people like you are with what you're trying to do with the comedy yeah but i also don't i also think it's important for people not to stress it too much or a worry sometimes about people like you'd kind of touched on this before maybe not so abrasively but people just putting people on a bill because of their because of their background regardless of talent which yeah, is like a very a, that's, that's not necessarily as the best, two yeah as two white bearded men this isn't it's a very tricky conversation to get into but it's like it's something that i think about it's like well i want to make sure everyone's voice is being represented yeah like if there's somebody that isn't ready to perform you know how do i reckon with that yeah it's difficult and that's when the politics of of being a producer and being a booker comes into play and it's it's not my it's definitely my not my favorite part of the business but it is the reality um because you are trying to be mindful and uh but then you, but it's hard to it's hard to argue with the statistics of it if you have you know 100 comedians and literally 85 of them are, are white guys and you know what i mean you only have these 15 people that aren't white guys and that's roughly, I, I mean, I don't have any, I didn't do any research, but that's probably what it actually is here in Pittsburgh. Totally. Like, like 85% white guys, though. It's, it, it's very difficult to, like, you end up just having a token not white person on a show. And it's just like, it's, it's, 
it's frustrating and it's kind of embarrassing in a way. And but uh, but again, what I don't know what as an individual I'm supposed to do with it. But well, I think the important what, thing is like if you think about okay, like maybe some of these people aren't ready. Yeah. It's like, I guess, at least just giving them a platform to improve. Well, that's the nice thing but about also, the club is because we have the open mic, so we can actually develop talent. And we have, like, when we have the professional shows, we have guest spots, which which in comedy is like a five-minute or seven-minute unpaid spot where you're newer, not quite ready, but you also have less time, so you get to be on a, a good showcase with professional comedians, and you get to kind of, like... That's your that's your like your first step into like a a paid gig. So we're doing that. That's that's kind of like the whole reason I brought it up because the big part of Derek and I starting this club is developing talent, regardless of what kind of person you are. Yeah. Um, but like you know, uh, there there are a lot of young people. A lot of people try comedy and they don't uh, they don't succeed. They drop out or whatever after a couple months or a year or two. And uh, you know, we want we want to catch those people and see if, if we can help them turn themselves into into decent comedians yeah i think comedy is one of the most it seems like one of the most intimidating form like performance yeah everyone everyone says that and i and i i I mean people people fear public speaking so much and then you know i had horrible stage fright like my personal stories i had horrible stage fright and i it kept me off the stage for years and the way that i dealt with it is i went to acoustic open mics and played like punk covers just to get over being on stage but even just having a guitar in front of me and having playing someone else's song brought me so much comfort as opposed to going up there with nothing but your thoughts yeah <laughs> yeah it's, yeah people are very intimidated of of oratory in general but stand-up comedy specifically people are always like coming up and saying they don't understand how anyone can do it and then and, and yeah I, it's it's hard to put myself in a place where i used to feel that way because i certainly did but like i people yeah i understand what people it are also from. seems very a lot more competitive in a way than other things i guess like the hip-hop community can kind of be like this because i'm kind of involved in that too Man, i think i think everything's so competitive um but it's not like but i feel I, like it things should be more competitive than they are so i kind of like envy that in a way because i just think it helps like curate better talent for like representing the scene as a whole there's been um god i don't want to use the word revolution but there's been a change in attitude in comedy there's an article that came out a few years ago and who knows if you saw but it's that that stand-up comedy is the new punk and what that article was saying about how um the diy movement in stand-up comedy is huge and the camaraderie between artists of like yeah, you come to my city and do my show. I'll come to your city and do your show. If you need any help getting booked other places, get a hold of me. I'll help. That is huge now in stand-up comedy, where in the 80s and 90s and the early 2000s, com- competitive would be the word where nobody, if they, okay. had, if they had contacts, they weren't sharing it with you. Fair enough. And uh, that has gone by the wayside and is a lot more uh, cooperative now. So while there is still competition, because you know, there's only so many paid spots and many more comedians than there are paid spots. There is that, but there's also this great concept of networking and and fellowship and camaraderie amongst us stand up stand ups uh, all over the country. Because there's there's a guy like me in every city who runs a room, who books the shows, blah blah blah. Uh, or there's several guys like me or or women yeah. or whatever in every in every city in the in a major city in the country. So like. Uh, you know, we 
help facilitate people into these independent completely unknown comics moving around the country that's super and, cool uh, it's yeah it's really cool so that it is very like growing up in the punk scene it's very it's like my second punk life it, it really is i didn't know that was going to be the case but yeah it's my my punk training as it were yeah, i think uh, that growing up has really been very useful in, in stand-up it's it's just interesting i think for me as an outsider just still kind of viewing it in that way and not seeing because i'm not behind the curtain so i don't understand how those things work sure. that's awesome i to mean hear. it's very similar to the bands i would imagine uh it's just being a comedian it's just infinitely more easy to travel yeah <laughs> and, and and do that kind of thing and getting a last minute spot as a comedian if you're in a city or somewhere is can be a lot easier facilitated if you're in a band and your show falls through the chances of you hopping on another show is very slim because of how much effort yeah. it takes to put a band on a show uh, whereas if you're a comedian if something bad happens you'll probably you'll be able to find five minutes somewhere i love the idea of yeah just being able like like five ten minutes is your set yeah i remember like, i was like watching some video of like andrew schultz on youtube of him going around new york doing like like four or five sets in a night mm -hmm. And it's like, man, that would be so awesome to be able to do that. And when I yeah. listen to comedians talking about like, oh, I'm just going to go out and do a set tonight, like mm -hmm. that they, they have that scene and they're able to do that. Like, I'm just sitting around. I can do that yeah. as a musician. I can't really fucking do that. I yeah. can't just be like, I'm just going to go do. I mean, maybe I could find an open mic, but that's not the same. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's it, just it's not. It's it's like a doing an open mic as a musician. You know, if you're doing like stripped down versions of your songs or something like that, it's like it's not the you're not really it's not a fair representation of your work whereas mm -hmm. if you're doing like open mic as a comedian it's like you're telling the jokes in the same way you would if there were if you were on a normal stage you might just be working out material that isn't like 100 mm -hmm. yet yeah the opposite side of that same coin is if you're regardless of an open mic or a show if you're a musician and you're at a show where no one cares or no one's there you can still play your song the way you wrote it where if you're a comedian and no one cares and no one's there you're just talking to an empty room and there's like because there's a very symbiotic relationship oh, between totally, yeah. the comedian and the audience and i'm not i'm not saying there isn't one with the musician but if you wrote a song and there's no one here to listen to it you're still playing your song <laughs> where oh, if yeah. you wrote a joke and there's no one there to listen to it you're just eating a dick <laughs> yeah i mean we're playing that you're playing the song but it's not it doesn't feel the same it's actually oh no i didn't know it still hurts your soul yeah yeah <laughs> but it still sounds the yeah. same <laughs> last night we played uh maggie's farm rum's fifth year anniversary mm -hmm. party under the 31st street bridge yeah. and uh we played it we went on at nine o'clock and we were the only metal band on the show. We were headlining it. Yeah, it seems a little not an appropriate place for a metal band, but okay. But it was really funny because <laughs> yeah. like, we have a working relationship with them. Sure. And it, it so it was really cool. And there were people there that were into it, but there you could definitely see kind of like the blank stares on everyone's face, like some faces. And it was just like a weird environment. It was a really good show. It sounded good, but it was uh, a few years it was, ago. It was very strange and it was really hard to like get into it in the same way when you know like if you're in a room full of like your people that yeah get it uh it's so funny to bring up maggie's uh, rum farm because uh, i think the second year of the strip district music, music festival they had comedy there yeah and uh not only do they have comedy there and it's not a good room for comedy but besides that point um uh, my uh, my friend you know bakaitis i'm assuming josh yes, Bikaitis, yeah. he, 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 was at the, he was at that time running that and uh he had i don't know if he booked it or whoever he had booked the comedy booked it in such an asinine way and it was like 
it was like eight comedians doing a half an hour each where a comedy show is usually 90 minutes total. And this comedy show was like four or five hours. And it had a bunch of people just doing, not thinking. Yeah, it had a bunch of people doing a half hour. That was booked, are not, are that was not, booked like bands. I know, but yeah, but it was, but I had a bunch of people doing a half hour who were not capable of doing a half hour. Like I'm seven years in, and I'm a I'm an okay comedian, and I feel very good doing a half hour, uh, maybe forty minutes, and like that's after years and years and years of working the road, and uh, doing a half hour is not easy at all. And there's these like these open micers who maybe have five or ten minutes of material booked for a half hour, and of course they say yes because they they want the stage time. They don't give a shit if they're gonna go up there and fucking eat a dick for thirty oh, totally. minutes. And uh, it was the weirdest thing to see, and so many people did so bad uh, <laughs> <laughs> because they were they were put in a situation when they could only fail. There's because there's like, there's only a handful of people. Not who, the right room. It's not the right times, room. It's not, yeah. it's not the right amount of time. And it was such a beautiful disaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great it, in a very bad way. It's super interesting, you know, talking about the time that you've put in and the amount of material you're able to do now. And then you think about like comedians that are able to put out like an hour every year other year it's like how i mean i guess it's that's all well, they fucking it, it, do well it's right? because because it becomes exponential like um you know and comedians a lot of times are off, often uh the opposite of bands whereas like take a band like weezer who everyone loves their first two records and everyone pretty much will unanimously agree they've dropped off since then well you think about weezer and that first album or two those songs are written in the first 10 years of that band existing existing and then they eventually put out this album on a major label but it you know who knows how many years it took to create that music oh yeah yeah and then now they're expected to put out a record every two years and it's all brand new it's it's very unlikely they're going to be able to keep up with that same thing whereas a comedian is actually different often a comedian will get better as they as they put out record after record, like a guy like Bill Burr or someone like that, or, yeah. or or Carlin, you know, put out fourteen one hour specials, and to, in my personal opinion, they each got better and better and better. Um, because uh, when you put out your first album, putting putting out your first hour is very difficult. Like I put out an hour two years ago, and I kind of wish I hadn't because I wasn't ready to do it. And uh, it's very difficult to curate an hour of comedy, especially when you're doing it 10, 20, 30 minutes at a time. Um, but then once you get to that point, say like a Bill Burr. Uh, where you can go book a tour and do an hour every night for two years. So that's how those guys create those that hour yeah. of material because they get to the point where they they're only ever doing an hour. So uh, and it also seems like people like uh Bill Burr or who I, I've been listening to um like uh Theo Vaughn's podcast sure. a lot lately. Like those guys when like their podcasts, it seems like. They're talking about stuff, but it also feels like they're kind of working through the eye, like the oh, same yeah. concept oh, of working yeah. out material for sure. Just, like, and they're like monetizing their brain farts. Sure, basically, is like what they're doing. I don't doubt that for a second. And I don't it's doubt, super I, interesting yeah, to me. I don't doubt a lot of those guys are just throwing anything against the wall, seeing what's sticking, making notes, and be like, maybe, maybe this has legs for the stage. I don't doubt that for it. I don't listen to their podcasts, so I wouldn't know if it's ever transferred to their material. But like. Yeah, there's there's no way that that isn't happening all the time. Yeah, with all those comedians who just have those podcasts. It just seems like it. You know, I don't like religiously listen to anybody. I just kind of have like I go into work and like I just kind of go on my recommended YouTube things mm-hmm. and I'll just kind of click on whatever's there and check it out. So it's always kind of a mixture mm-hmm. of a a lot of podcasts and clips from stand up comedians and then just a bunch of shit about like Trump and Kanye West recently that yeah, I yeah. have no interest in hearing. But for some reasons, being 
recommended to me. And I guess I watch it. So that's probably why they keep fucking recommending it. Algorithms are weird. Different conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, and the other thing too with me, I've like always like had these like silly thoughts in my head that, you know, would never be songs. And I'm like, oh, like these are just funny stories and premises. And I've wrote them down like in a notepad on my phone. I have no desire really to ever do stand up comedy, but I kind of like work through this material in that sort of fashion just for my it's own so personal funny fun. how many people have notebooks yeah uh, with things they were like this could be stand-up if i never wanted to do it and uh they'll never probably do it but yeah. you'd have no idea how many people have come up to me and told me that they're like i have notes that i've yeah. been keeping for years because people like what i don't know what it is about stand-up comedy i think it's because everyone likes comedy for the most part it's very difficult to meet somebody who doesn't like comedy and doesn't ever 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 watch stand-up comedy um but yeah there, there's so many people who just like in the back of their mind they're like maybe i'll fall back on stand-up one day it's so yeah it's very interesting because it, you, you don't you don't hear that about like uh a lot of other art like other forms or certain other forms of art I yeah don't know. It's, it's interesting like, i feel like my i feel like kind of an absurd person yeah so my brain's always just looking at shit through like a funny lens so mm. sometimes i get this funny idea for a thing and it's kind of like write it down and it's over you know time it's just kind of accrued so uh, i think i kind of understand the very very raw basic starting ideas of sketching out a sure. comedy set and it give it helps me give it like a lot more respect and understanding to the craft of it if you put yourself into the shoes a little bit but i also never i would never want to get into it because i think there's a lot of things that have been ruined by me becoming too involved in them like music that's fair yeah it's not <laughs> like, it's, sometimes it's nice to be a couple it, pe a couple it, spots removed from something so, so hard you, for so me to just, take so you can just like something <laughs> it's yeah it's so hard for me to take musicians seriously yeah, yeah, yeah nowadays and like in the same way we talked at the beginning of this conversation i was talking about beer yeah it's it's like getting really hard for me to like like just casually like beer now because i know so many people that are involved in it and even just the politics in beer, like um, oh, like yeah, somebody there. from this brewery doesn't like this thing. I'm like, this is fucking stupid. I don't want to know about all this. It's fucking beer. Yeah, all the inside baseball. I don't miss that at all from the restaurant industry. Um, <laughs> how was it? Just, oh, you, uh, next time you go down a, a YouTube or stand up hole, do yourself try to find somebody who's put an hour of their own comedy on on YouTube, but had no business doing an hour like there's been there's i've stumbled across a couple of videos of like open micers put out an hour of comedy and they'll like have like seven of their friends in the audience <laughs> and they're like they're in an auditorium and they're doing an hour of just the worst comedy you've ever heard but the the delusion they have is so almost impressive oh yeah it's it's so funny it's like i've recently a friend of mine sent me a video of this kid that we both know that is rapping now, apparently. And on He's you a rapist. He's a rapist. <laughs> that's a, that's a, one of my favorite jokes from Parks and Rec. <laughs> um, so there's this YouTube video series uh, put out by the Genius website where like the Genius website is they have lyric, they post lyrics for songs mm -hmm. and there's the annotations by the artists that kind of dissect what the lyrics are about. Okay, cool. So they started doing this video it's like series. Pop up video. Yes. <laughs> so they started doing this video series on YouTube where they basically get the artists to come in and recite the lyrics and then explain what they're about. Okay. Which is cool because you're answering questions that no, people yeah, are actually that's, that's awesome, asking. Yeah. 
but this kid that is you know has his new instagram account and he's his new rapping thing he's basically making complete ripoffs of these videos for his songs for his you know couple hundred followers on instagram it's like you're answering questions that nobody's asking and that's kind of like how I feel about like yeah, the comedian maybe putting that. out. I like, love that shit. I love when people just don't <laughs> get like, and, and, and I don't. I'm sure these people have always existed, but I feel like with social media and and and, and certain people of the millennial class, they want to skip all the steps of working hard and getting into this their local scene and coming up and 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 getting better and honing whatever their craft is. And uh, the people will just skip that and just go right to YouTube and put out their own content, which I uh, part of me is like, I like your drive. <laughs> I like your DIY attitude, but it is delusional to think you can just skip a lot of these steps. We had a comic um, in Pittsburgh a few years ago who still is not doing well, but he did one open mic. And then the next day put out a video on YouTube about how he quit his job because to be a professional comedian, one open mic. And he's like, that's it. I, I'm done. And uh, and then he came to two or three other open mics and just like faded away. It was so like his delusion, his arrogance was like impressive. It was almost impressive. And then, uh, you know, he and he still he's been he's been humbled more than a few times. This guy, and he's a perfectly nice kid, but it's just like his his mindset is so detached from reality. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's bounced around from L.A. to Chicago, back to Pittsburgh and blah, blah, blah. And he's not doing well because I feel like he's still he's still in like 23 or 24. He's still just as trying to skip the part where he goes to open mics two or three nights or like or two of mics a night every night of his life for two or three years. Like uh, he just wants to uh, apparently skip that part <laughs> and I just become that, a famous comedian. I, and that's that's a new thing that Instagram and shit is. um not it's not allowing people to do it because people aren't getting famous really but it's allowing people to think that they're doing it yeah and another problem i'm noticing from this mindset Mm -hmm. is whenever you're coming up in whatever you're doing yeah i think it's important to have some sort of uh, like i don't want to use the word vulnerability but make it known maybe kind of make it known that you need help in a way, so if somebody is looking sure. at you and they're like, "Hey, I see, I see something in this kid, and it looks like he needs help," yeah, I might be one willing to do this. But if you just look like you're firing at ten all the time, and like you don't, e- you make it look like you don't even need help because everything is so like perfect and like all my numbers look good, and I'm all like, if you're just faking it to a point where you look like you're super successful, yeah. somebody might glance past you, and be like, "Well, I guess this kid has his shit together. I'm not going to help him." But then I, I've the, never I've never had that experience where I maybe it's more. I think looked at one of these kids and like this guy knows exactly what he's doing. I've I, never had that experience. I think that it's, but I understand what you're saying. Definitely in the in the rap shit, sure. I see it a lot. And you know, kind of going back to that kid who I was talking about recently, it's like no, I don't really know anything about his music. Like he could be super good, yeah. But it just seems super silly to be like putting well, yourself that's, out that's, there. That's, that's one like thing. this now. That's one thing I've noticed with these people that the art of whatever they're trying to do seems to be second <laughs> to the yeah. promotion, which is um, which is a very, very dangerous, terrible mindset to have, regardless of what you're doing. I mean, where the art is secondary, and because anybody can put out content and anybody can have uh, you know a social media account, um. Yeah, the, the art and the craft has fallen by the wayside to the 
presentation of being something that you're not yet yeah, uh, i don't that's uh, that's not good at all i see that behavior a lot for yeah sure. that's that for sure it's i don't know what it is i guess everybody wants to be a rock star i guess i don't fucking know you know man. what like um <clears throat> self-promoting is very very essential but if it comes to you naturally i don't trust you like, like if you if you can promote yourself confidently and you're and you're and you do it without feeling even a little bit weird um i don't even understand you because you know it, it was years of me being a comedian and self-promoting were the, to the point where i even felt comfortable doing it Absolutely. i mean and, you know i i have transitioned from you know complete amateur to like i would at this point in my career i would call myself like a semi-professional like i you know i get paid more often than i don't I travel the country, blah, 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 but I still have a long ways to go. But even even now, I don't like uh, promoting myself still feels very uncomfortable. And I'm a pretty legitimate comedian. Whereas I see people when if you're if you're an open micer a couple of weeks, couple of months in and you feel very confident promoting yourself. I'm like, you have murdered babies. Probably. <laughs> I don't trust you at all. <laughs> but yeah, if that's the, that that shit comes natural to you. I'm just like, I'm very weirded out by you. It's it should be a very uncomfortable thing to promote yourself so aggressively. So one thing I want to get into with you is would be your music background. You brought it up a couple times loosely, uh, punk covers at open mics, mm -hmm. punk background. Yeah, uh, sure. What's the dealio with that? What's the, it's just. You were in the uh, I music. Got a, I got a bad religion record when I was twelve, and that was the end of it. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I I was twelve the year that Green Day broke big. I was like eleven or twelve or whatever. That same year when Dookie Green Day broke big, Rancid uh, broke big, like that, like the the, oh, yeah. the early to mid nineties um, second wave punk uh, movement. Dookie was the first CD I ever bought. I, I, mean, I, I mean i remember liking those songs but they just green day never really did it for me i think it's because i i had a, I had a teacher once when i was in ninth grade called me a natural born contrarian <laughs> <laughs> and uh so green day got really popular and, all, and everyone everyone liked green day so i was like it's fine <laughs> totally totally so i never but i but um i someone got me a bad religion tape got me all ages which is a this is a compilation of all their best epitaph stuff so it was like the album to get if you've never heard them before. And like I'd never heard punk music like like Bad Religion before. Yeah. Uh, you know, Green Day is very pop punk, very catchy. Uh Billy Joe is one of the probably the best catchy pop punk songwriters oh, yeah, of all he's time. A... Um but like if you I don't know if you're familiar with Bad Religion, but they're yeah. very like they're very um very percussive, they're very fast, they they have a uh, uh their harmonies they're, they're very well known for their their vocal vocal harmonies and their lyrics they're very intense not like aggressive but they're very political they're very intelligent huge words like the writer the main writer of those songs has a doctorate in uh um evolutionary biology like these are these are bright guys and uh so i got that record uh and it, it just changed it changed everything for me for sure i do was it, that was oh yeah 100 the record that just changed everything for me in my world awesome, so man that than you know than other punk bands like to this day i only like like 10 punk bands i'm more like uh, i'm more i'm more like the 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 concept of punk more than punk music itself like i do like punk music but like um people are like what about all these there's so many there's there's so many goddamn bands and i've just li haven't listened to a lot of them like uh i have my three favorites or my four favorites which would be bad religion dillinger four 
against me and the Ramones. And then everyone else is very, very a distant second of the bands that I like. And there's some contemporary stuff that I like, some newer stuff that I like. I was going to ask, like, like, what is your relationship with music now? I mean, uh, besides just enjoying it, uh, and I'll go to the occasional show if uh, if someone if something that I'm into is coming through. But like, it is it is just. I I mean I I, I listen to music I enjoy it, but it's not a huge part of my life. Uh, the way that uh, maybe people think that it is because like i like i said um i'm more into punk conceptually i'm more into like the ethos of it i'm more into um <laughs> the meaning of it as douchey as that sounds i still hold on to those those concepts very dearly to my heart because i feel like they and not just not just punk music like people who i think who are punk uh and have nothing to do with music someone like a george carlin or someone like a mark twain or someone like that who to me embodies the concept of punk before punk was even a thing um like uh the, those that's the kind of thing that i really hold, hold into and like about um punk is 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 the the underneath part of it um you know i, I do enjoy the fashion of it i enjoy the aesthetic i enjoy the music but those to me are all secondary to what punk means to me in my mind and uh i get made fun of a lot <laughs> for for that but i but i but i but like my punk friends who think it's really like lame or whatever but i like uh i'm very much into that it's important to know what you like and stand by it regardless of and i do it, i you know I, I, have, I have a bit that i really like uh that i do about how i took punk rock too seriously <laughs> <laughs> and uh and, and i make fun of myself and i make fun of punk rock uh, but at the end of the day i i like i tr i really hold on to those those concepts and uh for anyone who d doesn't know what i'm talking about like punk uh punk is the only music that i'm aware of i mean all, a lot of music genres have a fashion a lot of music genre have a look and they have an attitude but i punk is the only one that i'm aware of that comes with like a responsibility <laughs> like and not all punk but if you get into certain kinds of punk um you'll find yourself caring about issues that you didn't care about before and you find yourself caring about concepts in life that you care like i think uh punk is being uh, not materialistic i think punk is being like very like uh um doing things yourself and doing things for the to to better yourself but also to better the people around you not being not being a shithead blah 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 and there's all these other different concepts that that embody but that that that's what i hone in on that's what that's what i love about punk is i, the, think, is I the, think there's a lot of that in in some niche under the surface elements of hip-hop but sure a lot of that gets overshadowed by I, yeah there's the other other hip-hop hip artists plenty, that I, there, that embody punk to me like like guy like the like the, like the uh, dead prez and uh most deaf and a couple and and chuck d and stuff like that and like those guys are punk as fuck as far as i'm concerned and uh, yeah, I love I love that shit, and that's exactly what I'm talking I about. I even yeah. think you know the way that hip hop was born out of uh, just you know sampling records and mm -hmm. scratching turntables, and it was very punk to begin with. It For was sure. about I agree with that. Yeah. You know, being the counterculture, yeah. and then it became popular. Yeah, and it's so funny now that there's a lot of kind of hip hop purists that hold on to this thing that now has become the norm that are very for a long time, they really pushed against new ideas in hip hop. Yeah. You know what I mean? But now finally there's like a, a younger wave of kids that are starting to do this off the wall stuff that I don't even necessarily like, yeah. but it is like the fact that, Oh, they're challenging norms again and people. They're being way more punk than even punk people are now. Punk, yeah, yeah. punk kids are so like, I don't know. There's it's, 
I, don't know. I was in uh, Half Price Books and saw a Sex Pistols iPhone case, and I was just like, man, like, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, kids I mean, get this, like, really, like, they have this, <laughs> this fucking insanely, like, fucking distilled, sterilized idea of what punk is. Even and bands like the Ramones, yeah, and like, they have and no that's fucking I don't idea. Give, I don't give a shit about that. Yeah, but that, because that's always going to... Capitalism is always going to get its fingers, and anything's going to make it a dime. So I don't give a shit about that at all, uh, because uh, that all that stuff can still exist. And uh, but be but being but like I said, being punk to me has nothing to do nothing to do with aesthetic. Has nothing to do with music. It's a mindset that I but uh, that I really like uh, admire in people, and the people that I look up to most, I think, embody that that mindset. And it, it's it's kind of um. It's 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 almost an intangible thing, but you know when you're looking at it, like a like a guy like Ted Kaczynski, uh, the Unabomber is pretty punk, <laughs> uh, with the exception of murdering people. He was pretty punk. He was very anti anti society, and I, and I respect him a lot for that that well, kind of thing. <laughs> thinking about like how can punk, the the we'll say the the fundamentals of punk, what you're talking about, how can it exist in our current times with social media and all these things being about like uh, my, myself being the most important thing and all this like personal competition that just like kids have with each other now i mean but, punk punk to me the uh, punk to me is just about uh and same thing as like even like the the the, the uh, like a buddhist concept of punk is just uh, it's just about authenticity and you can be authentic and have an instagram account i mean you, i mean they're, they're not mutually exclusive um it's just about being true to yourself and, and and being true to whatever it is you're doing and uh and having some type of ethos behind it that um is respectable and so like any anybody can be uh, whatever i mean i'm using this punk in a philosophical in yeah. a phil philosophical way obviously and uh so anybody can embody that and then regardless of having a twitter account or whatever <laughs> um but i mean I'm, it's, it's, I it's not it's, for most people it's more I mean, i'm more interested in it in the perspective of kids coming up though like the youth I mean, I don't know. I think it's I easier have, for adults. I don't, but I don't know. I don't talk to kids. I have no idea what kids are into. I don't know, man. I have kids. I have fifteen-year-old uh, twins. And, oh, really? Uh, yeah. That's and nuts. Uh, I love, I love seeing their stuff on Instagram. Yeah. Because I'm, you know, I'm busy. They're like, <laughs> my kids are busier than I am with the way that they schedule themselves. That the, the, they do band and they do jazz band and they do swimming and they do all this shit and uh, they do all these other clubs and it's great and they're very, very social. So I don't even get to see my own children, even though they live a mile away from me. So like having their Instagram account <laughs> on my phone is actually uh, is, and this is obviously coming from a very personal perspective of a father child. But like I love seeing their stuff on Instagram. I love being connected to them that way, and and, and I get to see uh, how they interact with their friends and them having a good time or them having a bad time and and the stuff I wouldn't necessarily get to see uh, otherwise if they were just like brooding in their room alone who Fair knows enough, yeah but um i don't i mean my 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 kids are the first generation of kids who are being raised with it so it's just gonna be part of it just just like when we were raised with nintendo and mtv and our parents didn't understand that shit uh it's the same it's it's the same thing yeah. it's just it's just the new version of it i think it's fine i think it's all fine I mean, there's a there's a lot of bad stuff in social media obviously but i think social media is the first time we've ever had an actual glimpse of democracy in this country. Um, say all the bad stuff you want to say about Twitter, Instagram and stuff, and there's plenty, but you know, people have made changes because of Twitter and Instagram people. Uh, the, the, the people have gotten uh, the people in power 
out of their jobs because of Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. And I think that's that's direct people to power, and that's what a democracy is. And that's certainly not what America's ever been. We we call ourselves a democracy, but we never have been. It's it's a very loose concept of democracy. And I think social media is like the first time in uh, American history or any history, really, for that matter, that there's actually been true glimpses of democracy where we can actually have um it's usually just it's usually just not important discourse but it is discourse uh at the the end of it i think that's even with all the garbage that's on social media i think it's um ultimately a positive thing i think that that's an awesome perspective to have and here because i don't have children yeah so a lot of I think I get a lot of the garbage thrown my way. It's like the those negative voices always tend to be the loudest. Sure, sure. So and like also kind of going back to me thinking like, oh, uh, comedy might be very competitive just because I might hear one negative thing that's super loud. I'm not involved in it. Yeah, so yeah. Like, I, I mean, it, I mean, again, this I, negative picture gets painted, but it's just I don't think most things in general are never as negative or as intense as those voices make them seem it seems i uh i mean i'm not saying that those negativities aren't aren't real i just uh yeah but, but you can you can make a choice as a person as a person to be uh bothered by them more and, and how you engage with yeah, it yeah, yeah. Of like, that. there was just last night at the show uh an audience member came up to me and was saying about how um they, they enjoyed they love the show and they and i get asked this question a lot about like uh quote unquote pc culture in comedy and how it's ruining comedy and blah blah blah. I hear that from audience members, and I hear it from comedians. And it's always been my opinion that like only uh, audience members, whatever they're they're willing to their opinions are their opinions. That's fine. But when I hear comedians complain about the PC culture, blah 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 blah, in my mind, I'm just like, you're not good enough to deal with it. I mean, this is the this is the way that it's going. Sure, yeah. That there, this is the way that it's going. So you can stand there and complain about the audiences. Or you can adjust and become a better comedian. Those are your options. And you've chosen to stand here and complain about it. Whereas, like, uh, I welcome it. I welcome whatever changing attitudes. And I don't think it's PC. I don't think it's political correctness. I think audiences. Social correctness um, or something. Well, I think audiences, for the most part, I mean, there are uptight people, obviously. But I think for the most part, people are demanding a more thoughtful comedy. They want a more empathetic comedy they want a more intelligent comedy that's what people want because you can get if you do it right you can say the craziest shit if you're funny and clever and you approach it in a certain way um but if you just want to go straight at it like a fucking bowl like sure. just like a shock comic and you just want to say outlandish shit with no context people aren't gonna like it yeah not only because it's not funny and they don't want to necessarily hear that kind of language but it's not fucking clever but it I, there's plenty of comedians that I know that are dirty as shit that say really esoteric things and they can they can do it because they uh they put their their content out in a way that anybody can 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 tell the context can you tell it's a joke they they set it up properly so any when I hear comedians complain about the PC culture I just like oh you're just not good enough to deal with it that's all there is that's I, all there is to it you hear a guy like Chris Rock say I'm not playing colleges anymore because of the PC culture well Chris. You know, when you were 26 and you were breaking barriers as a young comic, you were hungry and you still wanted it. Now you're in your 40s and you're a multimillionaire and and you don't have the drive anymore. You know what? Sorry, Chris. I think you're one of my favorite comedians of all time, but you're going to stand up there and complain about PC culture. Maybe it's you. I think it might be you. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Sorry that the college kids don't want you to to refer to women as bitches anymore. Make the adjustment or don't do it. Like that's I I blame the comic all the time. Like when I hear comedians blame the audience, it's almost never the case. I mean, you will occasionally have a bad audience, but it's almost always you. Um, since I don't get the chance to talk to a lot of people that are involved in comedy, um, and you're an opinionated per- you. you're an opinionated person, <laughs> it seems. So I'd be curious about. Your opinion on a guy like a Joe Rogan, who a lot of people are very uh, into. Joe Rogan is interesting that you bring him up because I, I, I was as far as his opinions go on a lot of things. I think he's a pretty open-minded guy, and I think he. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't listen to his podcast. I don't listen to his stand-up, but I have heard him talk about things. I like his perspective on a lot of things. Um, I think because he's, he's one of those guys. He's kind of like the. I think he's a dog shit comic. Yeah. Um, uh, I I know a little more Joe about Joe Rogan's career than maybe like uh, like the average like just normal listener. The average Joe Joe, Joe yeah, than the average Joe. Joe Rogan was doing comedy for five or six years, and he got cast on a sitcom, and then he got Fear Factor. So Joe, and then he got the UFC. So Joe Rogan got famous, and then he got the Man Show. <laughs> also, so that all happened in a couple of years after he was like five or six years in the stand up, which five years five or six years in the stand up is not very long. Um, so he kind of got famous um outside of stand-up and now he's gotten this huge following between all those things i just mentioned and his podcast and he's still doing stand-up and i don't think he's a very skilled stand-up when you when i think of skilled stand-ups when you think of like a like a john mulaney or when you think of when you think of like a bill burr or when you think of like a tignataro or whatever uh these amazingly skilled stand-ups because that's what they do John Mulaney is a stand-up first. Bill Burr's a stand-up first. Tig's a stand-up first. And then they do other things beyond that. Whereas Joe Rogan, I think, is mostly a TV personality and a podcaster who also does stand-up. And I think he never really truly developed. I think his ideas are good. And I think the way he presents them are mediocre at best. Yeah, I've I've listened to episodes of his show when he's had guests on that I'm interested in. And it does seem, you know, he paints the picture of a very thoughtful person yeah i think think depending on the guests sometimes like i could tell that he's just trying to relate to them but i was surprised i was like okay i'm gonna give one of his stand-up specials a go so i watched like one of it and i was like i didn't i was so surprised by how kind of like frat boyish his comedy was it really threw me off it just felt like like okay like you you know a demographic and i feel like you're writing jokes for the demographic that's gonna give you money and i'll feel like this is like you I'll bring that back around to the earlier in the conversation. Remember earlier when I said about how comedians uh, and younger scenes, when they get, uh, when people are, uh, especially in a place like Pittsburgh, when people of color are women, uh, they get, they get booked before they should. And it hurts their development. That's exactly what happened with Joe Rogan. He got, like I said, TV shows and all that stuff. Uh, five or six years in the stand of comedy and stand of comedy took a back burner to all of that stuff. And now it is 20 years later and he is still doing stand-up and he can sell out whatever he, room he's in, but he's not very good. Like from a from a technical stand-up point of view, it's just not very good. It's just it it you look at you look at his contemporaries, guys like guys like a Bill Burr and guys who are just like and a Mulaney who are just like I think John Mulaney, I I think John Mulaney right now, if he isn't already, he will be the current king of stand-up comedy. I think he is probably the best that's out there right now as far as the big names you look at john mulaney special and how fucking perfect it is how the jokes uh and the bits are so well manicured and honed and every act out is perfect 
and then you go watch a joe rogan special and you're just like yeah you're like this has a very different feel to it i'm not saying every comic has to be the same yeah but joe rogan's stuff is not i guess his, it's just, his stand-up it's not is my not preference. very good it just isn't and i think i think he's a good I, he seems like a good dude but uh yeah as far as the stand-up yeah, goes I, I think it's very second rate i've really liked uh all of, a lot of Mike Birbiglia specials. I, I just like, wonderful. Yeah. I like the way that he just frames everything and it always comes around, ties a nice bow well, on the end. Yeah. It feels like his specials feel like an actual like full body of work. That's very and like, they, and they are, they're more, they're more along one man shows than they are along. Yeah. Stand-ups, but he walks that line very well where he does this one. He does an hour, hour and 15 where it's one story arc, but then he has a bunch of different arcs going off. And uh, yeah, he, you know, that's what he's been doing for the past couple of years. His past three specials have been that, you know, I, I sh- what I should have said was nothing. My girlfriend's boyfriend and thank God for jokes are all arts. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's made two movies. He's he's become something kind of different than this. He started out as a stand up comic and now he's like evolved into what I would consider to be like a higher form of of stand up. I think another thing, too, like with Mike Birbiglia, his personality just seems like something I can relate with. Whereas when oh, yeah, Joe Rogan, very every man, yeah. when Joe Rogan's talking, I have a hard time relating to his bits. Not that they're bad. It's just again, it's like that. I just think his presentation is very is very amateurish for as long as he's been doing stand up. For you know, but I, be, because stand up has never been his main career, and I think that is the result because the 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 people who are excellent at stand up and have been doing it 10, 15 years, like minimum. You, I mean, again, I'll keep I'll keep coming back to him john mulaney is 35 years old 15 years into the game you may not think of it because he looks like he's 12 but he's been doing comedy <laughs> since he was 18 or 19 years old yeah and and not only that he like john mulaney is one of those stories where he uh with a little he's obviously very talented but he also had a very huge stroke of luck where he went to georgetown and the people who were running improv at georgetown was nick kroll and mike Barbiglia. <laughs> <laughs> So he that he fell he went to college with two guys who would eventually Nick Kroll's his partner and then Berbigley has become one of the biggest comedians in the country. Yeah. So you know he he went he started going out on the road with Mark, Mike Berbigley like two years in the oh, comedy and stuff. So like he's had a very fortuitous go of comedy and he's also very talented. So like but that but again that's that's fifteen years of of honing to put out the special that he put out just this a few a few months ago that I think is brilliant um that he just won the grammy for he just won a grammy for that oh wow deservedly so whereas a guy like rogan like i said five or six years in sitcom fear factor uh ufc and then you know all of a sudden he's this big tv personality and he just does not have the stand-up skills i think he has the mind but he never had to develop he never had to be bill burr grinding it out for 15 years before he got his first one hour special you know what i mean kevin hart kevin hart's a guy who seemingly came out of nowhere but he was doing it for 15 almost 20 years before he blew up i remember seeing him in 2004 in the 40 year old version in that one scene where he's arguing about the do you even know what i'm talking about i've only seen that movie once well there's a scene where he's arguing about an extended warranty about a stereo and i remember watching that scene because it was so fucking hilarious and i had no idea who that guy was and 10 years later it's fucking (laughs) the biggest comedian in the world i mean these people are grinding and joe rogan never really had to do that because he got his audience elsewhere speaking of kevin hart it seems like and we talked about this earlier, like kind of with things being segregated. It seems like black comedy is very segregated from it seems like a whole different world. Yeah, it is. It's so it's interesting because like I try I there's some 
comedians that are some black comedians that I have gotten into their stuff, but it's so interesting because it just seems like they're so separated from everything yeah, else. It's, it's very difficult to try to, especially as a white guy, to try to articulate that. I mean, there used to be a whole kind of um, genre built around deaf comedy, you know, Russell Simmons deaf comedy in the 90s, and st- I think it's still around today, but like that was everything. And, uh, and there are some comedians who transcend that guys like patrice o'neill or kevin hart and uh, and a few others but there are guys who just like they're forever a black comedian and you know the 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 original kings of comedy while all those guys have been very successful i in stand-up i I guarantee you that their audiences are mostly african-american and it's just because they're they're doing very heavily material that's heavily focused on being african-american i guess it's it's like what you can relate to like how i can't relate to joe rogan yeah, yeah yeah so like uh, that's just the way that you're talking about your personal experiences often on stage so it, it makes sense that the people who look like you are most interested in it but like there is this whole other thing in black comedy where it's very difficult to put your finger on it but like it, it does exist but like there's black the black comics all over pittsburgh that i've i never see there's there's black comics in pittsburgh that i've never met before I'm friends with them on Facebook and they have shows. I've never met them in my fucking life. Yeah, I've so, never seen them at an open mic and I've never seen them at a show. And it's just a whole different world. It's very, very fascinating, but it's, it is very difficult to articulate. But a guy like Kevin Hart and like, like a Chris Rock, like a Chappelle, like whatever, who has transcended that because of their talent, because of their material too. Like, you know, uh, you know, Kevin Hart has very like approachable material, regardless of where your background is from. He's yeah. talking about having, a uh, super relatable thing he doesn't he doesn't necessarily uh relate or uh, rely or just fall back on being black and his black experiences he's talking about many things beyond that and i think any good comic would do that and regardless of your background um i think it's if you're and regardless if you're black if you're latino if you're a woman if you're gay if you're a white guy whatever if you're only talking about what you are i think you're really missing a lot <laughs> to be talking about for sure yeah, I think that there's I've seen a lot anytime I'm at a local comedy thing. It's not frequent, but I, I have been to some like seen them in open mic scenarios and things like that. It seems to be like a lot of I'm going to tell you about something that happened to me with no context to who I am as a person. And you <laughs> need to think this is funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's very like. I don't know who you are yeah, well, or, or that or you just kind of get the people like I'm going to say something really absurd about a girl or about like a disabled person sure and you have no concept of who i am yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it's like well that's just the that's just the misunderstanding of how to present comedy and that that's what you that's what open mics are for that's what you learn you know what i mean chris rock said it very perfectly he's like there's a lot of comedians out there who are great joke writers but they don't they're not good at getting across the context of the joke and without that context the joke is always going to regardless of how good your punchline is if you don't set up the premise properly the the punchline won't work what? which it doesn't matter how good it is but if you set up the premise properly if you build the context properly the joke will always work i can parallel that to a lot of musicians where i think there are a lot of really talented musicians that can't write a song to save their life yeah Oh, for sure. That's why they're <laughs> studio musicians. Yeah. That's why they're not in bands. That's why yeah. that's why there's been famous studio musicians that have been on every fucking rock album you've ever heard of because they can listen to something and write something over it, but they can't just like write a fo- they can't write 
they can't write a Tom Petty song. They can't they can't write American Girl. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? You know, uh, that there's a different kind of talent. Do you know Derek's Nutty? You know the Homeless yeah. Gospel Choir? I was just talking about him the other day. He's a buddy of mine. And uh, I was uh, I was talking to uh, another acquaintance of Derek and I's, and I was saying about how much I, I like Derek a lot, and I like his stuff. And it's so funny because uh, he's arguably um, – he can barely play guitar and he can't sing. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but it's but, very but, but, he trans, but he transcends it uh, by doing other because he can write a song, he can write a catchy song, and he has a personality behind it, and he has a context behind him, and that's why the, all that works. And there's a lot of people who can like like the American other people who can sing for days but couldn't fucking write a thing if their life depended on it. So who gives a shit? <laughs> You yeah, know what I mean, and uh, so I I love that I love that uh, that that those different kind of things. Then 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 there's someone who comes along who just has it all, and you're just like, God damn it, <laughs> that's crazy how good you are at everything. Yeah. So wrapping up this whole shindig here, kind of let's plug the comedy club again and the dates. Well, I guess it's a content. Yeah, Burning Bridges Comedy Club. Uh, it's uh, burningbridgescomedyclub.com. We're, uh, we're in the side room of Handbones every Saturday and Sunday, Saturday, 8 and 1030, Sunday at 9. Um, oh, I, I do want to mention that we have national headliners coming in often, We and a lot of it's local comedians as well. But on Sundays, uh, we do a show called The Residency. So every month, uh, Burning Bridges has a resident comic. Uh, so they'll be performing every Sunday and throughout the Saturdays and host the open mics. It's just, uh, we, Derek and I pick a young comic who's on the verge of becoming something very good. And we, we put the spotlight on them for an entire month and have them interact on stage and also try to show them r- the ropes of how to you know run shows and all this kind of stuff. It's it, the, the, the club just opened. So we're just now in our first month of having the res- residency this month. It's Ian McIntosh. And uh, we have a we have a few more uh, comics we want to do that with, but uh, that's something I'm really excited about because, like I said, like a big part of this club for Derek and I is developing talent, like how giving people a place to really not only come and do their stuff, but also get really involved with like like um kind of mentoring. Like Derek and I have been around for a long time, and we've we we have we have a lot of experiences, and uh, we want to try to give these younger comics uh, those experiences so they can maybe avoid some of the mistakes we've made and maybe that we can uh, ramp up their um, what am I trying to say we can ramp up their uh, the, they can get better faster that's not the word I wanted to use but I couldn't <laughs> think of the word um, <laughs> the, uh, yeah uh, expedite their uh, sure whatever yeah, sure. I, was, I, was trying to, I was trying to really <laughs> say it uh, in an articulate way and I failed miserably but we're really trying to like just take people under our wings our fat wings and get them to be uh to get them to another level uh quicker than maybe they would on their own that's good i think it's really cool too to have just to know like if i am a stand-up or somebody that's looking to get into it or somebody that just likes to go see stand-up comedy that there is like a thing set in stone where i know no matter what like i could go by that place on a saturday sunday and catch something sure you know, and it's run by, you know, a set group of people that have a mission in mind versus like, sure, I could go to Howlers any night and probably catch a live show, but it's going to be a different promoter. You don't really quite know what you're walking into. Yeah. So it's not quite the same. Yeah, we're trying to we definitely want to try to cultivate like a following and, and people just know that they're going to be able to come 
to to burning bridges any any saturday or sunday and see a quality show yeah that's exactly what we're trying to do regardless of who's on the show you know cool and what was the website one more time burning bridges comedy club.com awesome and there's is there any other gigs outside of the stuff at Hambones coming up sure uh, when, 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 when will this be released eh, a couple weeks couple weeks so i don't know okay <laughs> probably but is there like, anywhere yeah. that people can keep up with you personally yeah, i have my own website of uh, john dickwinners.com and i also have race the coffin.com i uh i made t-shirts i, I made, i'm a t-shirt maker and i have uh, a bunch of like i have eight or ten designs out right now a lot of them are comedy and punk based but um like i have a one of my favorite t-shirts is a, a george carlin t-shirt it's george carlin with the jesus cross on a thorn thing it just says what would george carlin do George Carlin is obviously a famous atheist. Yeah, uh, I have um, I have a I have a, a, a John Goodman black flag shirt because what the world needs was another black flag parody. <laughs> <laughs> a few other ones. I have a few other fun shirts, but uh, yeah, check out racethecoffin.com, John Dick and then uh, Burning Bridges Comedy Club.com. Cool. And that is all, folks. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the conversation, John. Thank you for coming over. Hey, man, this is great. Thanks. I'll be back again next week with another episode. Same time, same place, same channel. You know the drill. My name is Sykes. Start the beat. 2018. Whoop, whoop. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 